Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. We really did join heaven in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. A lot of the lyrics we sang, exactly lyrics that came out of chapter 4, last week's message, and chapter 5 this week. So I'll ask you to turn back there if you'll go to Revelation chapter 5 with me. And um, choir, thank you for how you sang. And just lately, I don't know if it's just me, but it's been beautiful. I appreciate your singing and your service and all the work you put into that. It's good to see Jackson up here filling in for Kathy on the bass. So it's always good to see. Last week in chapter 4, we got a glimpse of heaven and uh, in a symbolic parallel to the rapture of the church that you and I as Jesus followers are awaiting. The apostle John was taken up into heaven. He saw God's throne room. In chapter 5 here, it continues that scene in heaven for us. Um, But this time the emphasis is not on the throne and the occupant of the throne. This time in chapter 5, the emphasis is on the scroll that's in God the Father's hand on the throne and on that scroll's recipient. And as I mentioned last week, these two chapters, they are a necessary gift from God to remind us all of his great grace as well as his omnipotent sovereignty over all things. A needed reminder as um, we journey into chapters 6 through 19 in the weeks ahead. And uh, those chapters, of course, describe the terrible and traumatic events that will occur uh, during the Great Tribulation here on this earth after the church is raptured. And we read chapter 5 earlier, but let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us what it is God wants us to understand in these verses this morning. Father, uh, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal the truth of these verses to us, and we thank you for giving us this two-chapter glimpse into heaven. I pray that um, as we go in the weeks ahead and study um, what you have described will happen here on earth after the church is raptured. And, um, and, and of course, Lord, it's not... Um, it's not a happy time. It's terrible. Traumatic things are going to happen here as you judge this world for their rebellion against you and as you um, try to turn the hearts of, of your people, Israel, to be ready to receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah on at his second coming. And, and God, I pray that um, we won't forget as we go into chapter 6 to 19, we won't forget your great grace as it's been described here, as it's highlighted today in the sacrifice of Jesus for us, the salvation we have in him. I pray that we uh, would not be fearful, but just as um, John learned from Jesus, that we don't need to fear because uh, our Savior is the Alpha and Omega the one who holds the keys to death and hell. And if we know him as Savior, there's nothing for us to fear uh, in this book. God, reveal your truth to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the focus on uh, verses 1 to 4 is definitely on the scroll, 
That's what's emphasized in this chapter. I want you to look how verse 1 begins. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, and it was sealed with seven seals. Uh, the King James Version uses the word book. Of course, we understand that they did not have books at that time like we do now. So anything that was written was written on a scroll of papyrus or, or uh, leather, animal skin. And the writing would be in the center of that document, and it would be rolled uh, up toward the center from each side. And verse 1 describes how this scroll is sealed with seven seals. And so anytime they wanted to do that, they would, they would tie a string around that scroll and they would seal it with a clay or a wax seal. Uh, it'd be placed on the string in order to prevent uh, it being read by anyone other than who it was addressed to. In, in this instance, there's seven strings and seven seals. Now there's something else that's unusual about this scroll. It had quite a bit of information on it, so much so that it was written on the front side and on the back. And then the next thing to happen here, it's recorded in verse 2. It says, John saw a strong angel, and that angel proclaimed with a loud voice this question, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And we get the answer to that angel's question in verse 3. It says, no man in heaven or in the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So nobody, uh, no man on earth, no angel in heaven, no fallen angel in hell. Nobody was found worthy to break open these seals, to open the scroll, to release and relay its contents. Um, this is not a question of uh, ability to open the scroll. Anybody could do that. They could break those seals. It's not a question of power in that sense. The question is who is worthy? And the answer is nobody. It's a question of who has authority to do it. Uh, guys, if in, in the media booth, Ray, if you got that picture, if you could throw it up there, I want to see if you guys know uh, what this is. Do you, can you see that? Do you know what that, that uh, I don't know what rank he is, it's a Navy guy, but uh, do you know uh, what he's carrying there in that big briefcase that's facing us? Does anybody know what that is? What it's called? Yeah, nuclear football. It's not a football, of course, but what, anytime the president leaves on Marine One or Air Force One, anytime he vacates the president, uh, premises of the White House, uh, he takes that with him. It is the machine that can launch nuclear weapons from anywhere in the world. And uh, don't get too frightened. I mean, well, maybe be a little frightened considering all things, right? Um, and, and that's not the only thing they have. I don't have a picture of this. I don't know if anybody has a picture of this. There's something called a biscuit as well. Every day, the president and vice president get a biscuit. They don't eat it. What it is, it's a like credit card type of size thing, plastic thing, and it's got uh, a series of numbers on it, two usually two-digit numbers. Those get changed every day. Uh, they get a new one every day, and those are the launch codes where they could do it from the White House or from Washington, D.C. It's covered in an opaque, um, like glassing, like when you had a really nice baseball card, you put that little holder around it to protect it, but you can't see through it. You have to break that plastic in order to get to the code. So, uh, I mean, the reason I'm telling you about that is like anybody could open that briefcase, do what you need to do to launch them out, but not anybody can, right? Only the one who has the authority, only the one who's been deemed worthy can. It was the same when I was in the army. Here's just another illustration of that. Um, there was a time when uh, we got a phone call that we needed to go to division headquarters and get orders. And they said, you need to send somebody with a top secret clearance. Well, it was about two in the morning. 
and I happened to be on staff duty uh, as, as a runner. I was uh, E3 at the time, a, a private first class, but it had to be somebody with, I was the only one that had a top secret clearance. So I went up to division headquarters and when they saw that little uh, PFC rank on there, they said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm here to pick up the orders. And they said, no, I need somebody with a top secret clearance. And I gave them my card and they scanned it and they said, I'm very sorry, here you go. Um, it, it wasn't a question about rank, you know, uh, uh, somebody who was uh, E8, E9, if they didn't have a, a top secret clearance, they couldn't get it. It was one uh, who is worthy, and that's the idea here. Verse 4 records for us John's reaction to the situation. It says he wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll, neither to look thereon. And the Greek words translated as wet much. Uh, I mean, this is a, an audible outburst of great and continuing sorrow. So why was this John's reaction? It might help us to consider um, what was written on the scroll to answer that question. And the only problem is we're not really clearly told here. Uh, some theologians believe that it contained the Old and New Testaments, the entire Bible. The only problem with that is you and I are opening that here every Sunday. I hope we're opening it every day as followers of Jesus and reading God's Word. So that's not a question of worth. I don't think that can be it. Others believe it contained the rest of the book of Revelation, chapter 6 to 22. I think that might be a possibility. And while the same thing is true, you and I um, we're opening it and studying it right now. Um, it, it had yet to be revealed in John's time. We know it all. And we're going to know it all as we go through it. Um, but this was the last book of the Bible written. And John is right now writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's other theologians, people much more learned than I, that believe the scroll contained the full plan of God's redemption. Now, salvation's work was finished uh, on the cross and it's offered to all, but uh, the full redemption of this world, the full aspect of our salvation in Jesus, that, that's still ahead for us, right? I mean, we're not in heaven right now. We're not in eternity. We don't have our perfect, sinless, glorified bodies uh, just yet. Um, we're still living under the curse. Jesus hasn't returned and, and uh, restored this world to an Edenic-like state. That's still ahead for us, right? And so I believe that the scroll may have contained either of those last two things or maybe both. Uh, the rest of the book of Revelation, all the things that are going to happen in order for the full redemption that Jesus purchased for us to occur and or maybe just the full redemption. That's pretty much the same thing. We might could see it as the title deed to the world. Now that was Jesus's by creation, but now it's double his by redemption. Uh, Jesus returning to reign here and right every wrong. And, and if so, uh, this would correlate to an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Daniel, in Daniel 12.4. Daniel was shown much of the same things uh, in a much smaller scale as John is here about the end times. But in Daniel 12.4, the angel told Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. And he says, many will go here and there and knowledge will increase. May I just note that that is a powerful uh, description of the time that you and I live in right now. Back there in Daniel 12, 4, God describes the time of the end. Like, you know, are you living in the end times? Um, he says it's a time when many people will travel to and fro. Now, I want you to think back uh, and, and from well before you were even born. 
Do people do that right now more than ever before? I get on a plane, go anywhere in the world, be there within 12, probably 12, 18 hours. Uh, Many people will travel to and fro and knowledge will increase. Has knowledge increased? I didn't say being smart has increased. But, I mean, we carry around in our pockets pretty much access to any information you need. My washer gets broke. What I can go to you, Google YouTube and figure out what's wrong with my washer. Um, I remember as a kid having uh, my car broke down. I'd have to go to the library and, and get a Chilton's manual, and they wouldn't let you take them out. So I had to copy it and, you know, try to go home and find out what's wrong with my alternator or my starter. Get, just Google it right now. Um, yeah, we're definitely living in the end times when many go to and fro and knowledge will increase. And so the Apostle John, he's here, he's weeping much because it seems that the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy here, of the scroll finally being opened, that the full plan of redemption finally being unsealed and unleashed to occur, well, that's now at a standstill. It's at a halt. And who knows when and, and if it will occur. But we find out that it's John's weeping that comes to a halt in verses 5 through 7, when he's introduced to the one who is found worthy, worthy to open the seals and and reveal the contents of the scroll. And it's the Savior. One of the elders, he comes to John in verse 5, and he tells him, weep not. (laughs) Well, why not? Because he tells John, behold. That means, hey, look, pay attention, look over there. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I don't want to move on from this verse this morning without drawing your attention to something here and challenging you with your responsibility as a Christian. We learned last week that these 24 elders, uh, they were symbolic, they were representatives of believers of all time. Old Testament people who were saved, New Testament people, if you know Jesus as Savior, they're representing you there in heaven. Right, And um, it's one of these, one of these elders that comes over to comfort John and to point him to who? Jesus, right? Jesus follower, that is your single task that Jesus left you with here. That, that is the great commission. It is why you and I are to be involved in missions. We're to make disciples. That begins by pointing people to Jesus. That's how they become a disciple. That's how they grow as a disciple. We don't ever stop doing that. Uh, here on Sunday mornings. I'm talking to people who have been pointed to Jesus, who have received them as their Savior. The only way we grow as a Christian is for us to continue pointing each other to Jesus Christ. That's our job. We who have been pointed to Jesus, being used of God to point others, our commission from him to go ye into all the world and to point people to Jesus Christ, to go to those who are weeping, saved, unsaved, and point them to Jesus, to the peace he gives, to the joy that's found only in him, to the satisfaction in life that's in Jesus Christ. Now this elder tells John, you don't need to shed another tear because look, there's Jesus and he is worthy. He describes Jesus in this verse uh, using Old Testament prophetic language for the Messiah that God promised would come to be our Savior. He says he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. We sang that this morning. He's a root of David. That was sung this morning. John wouldn't have any problem understanding who this elder was talking about as one of Jesus' disciples. John was there at the foot of the cross. John was the one who, who beat Peter in that foot race to the empty tomb and saw the resurrected Christ, the Messiah. He knew who this elder was talking about. And when this elder briefly describes or summarizes why Jesus is the worthy one, he says, because he's prevailed. 
He's prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. He has prevailed. The Greek word is Nike. Yeah, like the shoe. It means he's a victor. He's a conqueror. That's who Jesus is. That's why John doesn't need to cry any longer. It's why Jesus is the worthy one. He was victorious over sin. He conquered death and the grave. And that victory is also ours in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, John hasn't seen Jesus just yet. The elder just said, hey, look, look that way. Look over there. And in verse 6, John does that. It says, in the midst of the throne... In the midst of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So he was described as a lion. And I wonder what John thought when out from the middle of the throne there and this scene in heaven comes a lamb. Which one is it? Jesus is both. Our Savior is both. At Christ's first coming, he did not come as a conquering lion. He came as a suffering savior. He came like a lamb. He came to be sacrificed to atone for our sins, to offer us salvation. But when Christ returns, it'll be as a conquering lion. Here in heaven, John sees the savior as a lamb. And look again at his description, as it had been slain. And so we know that God's word tells us that if we trusted in Jesus as our savior, when we get to heaven, we're going to have perfect Eternal, glorified bodies, no sin, no sickness, no death, no scars. However, the body of Jesus still bears his scars. We see that in the as it had been slain description, as well as the gospel accounts that talk about the post-resurrection interaction Jesus had with his disciples. Thomas knew Jesus had scars, didn't he? Yeah. And um, these marks... They're on the body of our Savior even today. An eternal reminder to us as people of the cost of our redemption. But the Savior here is pictured as standing. It says a lamb stood a lamb. He's standing. He's ready to complete his work of bringing about the full redemption and restoration that his sacrifice on the cross purchased. In him standing here, the emphasis is not on his crucifixion. It's on his resurrection. It's on his victory over the grave. And as a result, our victory over death and our inheritance of eternal life through faith in Jesus. And then the final description of the Savior is at the end of verse 6. This lamb has seven horns. And horns in the Bible always being a symbol of power and of authority. And the number seven being the number of perfection or, or totality. The Savior has total power and authority. The lamb representing our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when John sees him, he also has seven eyes. And we're told right there what those are, what they represent. The seven spirits of God that are sent out into all the earth. And so our Savior was the sacrifice. And he is standing, ready to complete his work. And he's scrutinizing the fullness of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Who foresees and oversees all knows all. He's the worthy one. We're introduced to the worthy one. He's worthy to take this scroll, to open the seven seals because he was sacrificed for man's sins. He has all power to overcome every foe and he has all wisdom in these seven eyes and seven horns, all wisdom to foresee and oversee everything that's about to happen in chapter 6 through 22. Now in verse 7 we learn that and Jesus comes and he takes the scroll out of the right hand of God the Father who sat on the throne. 
and John's mourning can turn to complete joy now. Now Jesus can break the seals. He can reveal, he can release the events that are going to happen in chapter 6 through 19. And when the seals are broken in chapter 6, uh, the seal judgments of God, they're poured out onto the earth. We'll study them in the next two weeks during the tribulation. But when the seventh seal is broken, the trumpet sound and the trumpet judgments begin. And when that seventh trumpet blows, Revelation eleven fifteen has one of my favorite verses, one that we should all look forward to. It says, Jesus Christ receives the kingdoms of this world. Redemption, fully realized. Restoration, it's ready, it's done. Here in verse 7, the scroll is still sealed, but now it's in the hand of the Savior, the one who's worthy to open it, to start all of this off. And then the rest of chapter 5, it contains the songs, three of them actually, with the scroll now in the hands of the Savior. Verse 8 tells us that the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they immediately, they fall down before the Lamb, worshiping Him just as they did in chapter 4, worshiping God the Father. And each one of them has a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Uh, King James says harp. Lewis, uh, I'll have to remind him in the second service, or Jackson, it's actually a, a guitar. It's like a stringed instrument is what they're talking about there. And it says here in verse 9 that they sang a new song. It is a new song, but it's the old, old story, isn't it? They sing, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That's a song of the redeemed. That's your song if you've been saved by God's grace through faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. There's a lot of singing in heaven, isn't there? I mean, right here in these two chapters, we're, we're told that's what it's like. And we see back in verse 8 that our prayers... Our, your prayers, the prayers you might have prayed this morning, the prayers we prayed right here uh, this morning, together here at church, they're part of the worship in heaven. Like we entered the worship of heaven as we were singing, because singing is a prayer. We weren't singing, you weren't singing to the back of whoever's head is sitting in front of you. You were singing to the Lord. Your prayers are like uh, incense that is going up that God is pleased with. It's just an awesome thought. And the songs don't have to stop. They don't stop with that one. The song of redeemed, the song of the redeemed, it prompts angels in heaven to start exalting the lamb. Verse 11 says, well, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels all around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Now, how big has this choir gotten now? It says 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And what it's really talking about there is an infinite number of angels. John can't even number them. In Roman culture, 10,000 was the biggest number. They, I don't know if they ran out of fingers and toes, but they didn't think of, there's no number bigger than that to them. And so John's trying to explain, he's like, it's 10,000 times 10,000. You know, you're not going to get it. Thousands upon thousands in addition to that. And what's their song? Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and blessing. Can you, can, are you trying to picture this? I mean, this had to be an amazing thing for John to see. I, I love choir music. I, I'm thankful for, like I said, for our choir here on my Spotify playlist. Um, I have one called Everyday Sunday. It's to remind me, like, it's to make like every day be like Sunday, and it has a lot of choir music on it. Um, like big choirs, big church, like Prestonwood Baptist, right, in Texas, or and things like Thou, O Lord, and, you know, um, just beautiful arrangements of praise to our God. 
And this is like that to the, to the 10 millionth power is what John is witnessing. And the worship service doesn't end there. In verse 13, we learn that now all of creation joins these innumerable angels and the redeemed of all time. All of creation joins to praise the worthy one. Every living thing, angel and human, creature on the earth, creature in heaven, they all sing together blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. I don't know how John could contain himself. I mean, this had to be so incredible. And when that song ends, verse 14 says that the four living creatures then say, amen. And the 24 elders, they fall down again and worship him who lives forever and ever. Amen. It means so be it. Or it means make it so. And they say, make blessing and honor and glory and power. Make that be given to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Make that happen. And that's really what chapter 6 through 19 are all about. It's about blessing and honor and glory being given to Jesus Christ. Friend, can you say that amen this morning? Could, could you join this heavenly choir and sing these songs? That Jesus Christ, that he's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and blessing and honor and glory. Can you sing that without hypocrisy this morning? Because that's what your life sings every day. Have you been pointed to Jesus this morning? We have here in his word, just as the elder was pointing the weeping John to Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Have you quit trying to earn salvation by what you do or what you don't do? And, and instead, you've, you've trusted in what Jesus did for you to forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Do, do you know the victory that's in Jesus? Is he your Savior forever? Christian, you who have been pointed to Jesus, you've received him as Savior. Would you pray this morning and would you ask God, help me point somebody to you this week. Help me to point somebody, to bring somebody along that I can point to Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to tell them to look to the one who has redeemed us to God by his blood. Help me to point them to how they can have new life in Christ right now and eternal life in heaven for him one day. How, how is your prayer life, Christian? As we're taught here in chapter 5 that our prayers are actually part of the worship of heaven. Can we pray this morning what we so often pray in the Lord's Prayer Lord, I want your kingdom to come. It'd be, today would be a wonderful day. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done, just as it is in heaven. I mean, you say something and it's done. I want that to be how your will is done here on earth, how it's done in my life. Can we, can we all say amen to that this morning? Can we say make it so? God, make all of this so in our lives, Lord Jesus, because you're worthy.